Good morning. That's working. As many of you know, my family and I just returned home from Oklahoma. And it, is a, it was a trip. It was a great trip. It was a trip that reminds me just how blessed I am. Um, blessed with this church family. Blessed to live in a place that has figured out how to manage humidity properly. Um, blessed to be able to spend the time traveling, spending a couple of days in Colorado just doing some fun things with Kara and my kids. People I adore. Doing things that I adore. And then we get to Oklahoma and we get to see both sides of our family. We get to see everybody on Kara's side, everybody on my side of the family. I mean, all, my, all our siblings. And it was just such a great blessing for me to look at those people and to see how much they've influenced me. To spend time with my father-in-law, Kara's dad, who I have a great relationship with. That's such a blessing in and of itself. But he's such a great guy and he's, he's so positive and he's such a good spiritual influence. My mother-in-law, who's so sweet and takes such good care of us. And then to be around Kara's sisters and stepsisters and to be around my sisters and my brothers-in-law and my brother, who, is, who I, I admire so much. And to be around my parents, my mom and dad, who are just, I'm sorry, no offense, they're just the best people in the whole world. You guys are good people, but you're not my mom and dad. But I think of the ways that they have influenced all those people and what great role models that they've been for me. And it makes me think, number one, why didn't I turn out any better than I did? But then I think, you know what they all did, every single one of those people, in some way or another from literally from birth through my teenage years, through my stupid young adult years, to my adult years, every single one of those people in some way or another have pointed me to God. And to God's word. And I'm so blessed for that. And that makes me think, you know, the reality is that all those people pointing me toward God and to his word. The reason they did that is because God's word is absolutely full of role, role models for us. People that we can look at and we can model our lives by. Richard has a few weeks ago or a couple of months ago spent a couple of lessons talking about some of those heroes some of those people of faith that we can look to. The Old Testament itself is just full of them. Great men like Noah and Abraham and David and Joshua and Joseph and Daniel. The list could just go on. You think of the great women like Sarah and Esther. And Deborah, and, and, and again, you could add so many names to that list. And we think of those people, and I think it's very important for us to remember that we need to take those people out of storybook status. Take those people out of the, these comic books. These I find these so fascinating. These Bible comic books, to take those people off of those pages and to remember that those are real people that lived real lives. Those are people that we can look at and we can see what it means to be people of faith. Romans 15, 4 tells us that these things were written beforehand, were written for our instruction. What does that tell you? It tells you we need to learn from those people. Those aren't just great stories. Those aren't just great tales that make up comic books and storybooks that we tell our kids. My mother, 
And I know I've shared this with you all before. My mother used to say, do not call Bible stories stories. They're Bible accounts. I didn't know what the word account meant when I was five, but I knew it weren't stories. She always said, Peter Rabbit's a story. Samson isn't a story. But we need to remember that those are real people that we are to learn from. Not just in theory, but to look at lives and say, how can I emulate that in my life? One of those examples we looked at a few, a few weeks ago, the last, last time I had the opportunity to, to speak, we talked about Ezekiel and how, how Ezekiel took, a, took a, a, a challenging, bizarre moment, but spoke out for God. Well, this morning, I want us to look at another great role model from Scripture. Her story is very short. It's very brief. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, or chapter 1, 1 and 2, we have all we have about Hannah. But what we know is that she was the mother of Samuel, one of the great prophets of Israel, one of the great leaders of Israel. And what we know about Hannah is that she had a tough situation of her own. She was a woman who dealt with some real challenges. But I think as we look at her life, and again, not just as a character in a story, but as a real woman, just as real as any of us in this room, that she lived a life that we can model. And we can see in Hannah an example of growing in faith, an example of, of, of waiting on God, an example of being com completely and wholly committed to God. And an example of utter and complete trust in God and praise of God. So if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel. And we'll, we'll spend some time in some other, other places as well. But as we just look through these two chapters, we won't even read all of these two chapters. We can learn many lessons from the life of Hannah. And I think as, as she's introduced to us as the wife of Elkanah, I think the first thing that we can see from Hannah is that even people of strong faith have real problems. We have real life issues that we have to deal with. She's introduced as one of the wives of Elkanah, which really might be the first and, the, and one of the most major issues. It wasn't uncommon in that day, but it cannot be a pleasant situation. I just can't imagine how that is a good idea, but that's a whole, whole different sermon. But to add to that issue, Hannah was also childless. 1 Samuel chapter 1, let's begin in verse 2. He, Elkanah, had two wives, the first name Hannah and the second Peninnah. Peninnah had children, plural. Catch that. She had children, but Hannah was childless. This man, Elkanah, would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of Armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to each of her sons and daughters. See, it reiterates there. More than one child, sons and daughters. In contrast, Hannah is childless. But Elkanah gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her. 
because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah would ask. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? Karen and I were talking about this this morning, and she said, well, the answer there is no. <laughs> no, you're not. The name Hannah, the name Hannah means grace. And you, you have to think that it's in, in many ways, Hannah must have felt grace from Elkanah. He obviously favored her. He, he gave her double portions of the sacrifice. He showed her love. And maybe she did feel graced much of the time. But man, it's not a stretch at all to just imagine her feeling when she looked in that, however they did it back, that, that empty nursery and that empty crib. And hearing, whether it's down the hall or in another portion of the home, however, hearing Panina and her children, how that had to hurt, how that had to be a, 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 just a, a source of such struggle for Hannah. I can't imagine that longing. But I know some of you can. And that, that, that has to be so tough. But to add to that, not only did she feel that inner pain, but she felt it from the outside. Panina, her, the, 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 the scripture that records her as her rival. She's provoked by her rival. She's taunted and made, and, and made fun of. And you have to think it's got to be about the children. See, in that, and I'm, I have in my notes to say in that day, but I don't even think that's right. I'll say it because it's in my notes. In that day, children were a, were a status symbol. I don't think that's changed in many ways. For Panina to have multiple children and for Hannah to have no children had to be a source of, of tension, a source of angst. But even today, you think, we kind of use our children as a measuring stick, don't we? That there's that, there's that almost, uh, almost a competition. There's that, that one-upsmanship sometimes between parents. And it starts very little. Well, little Billy started to crawl at three months old. Well, you know, Johnny was talking, you know, the six weeks after he was out of the womb. <laughs> well, my, my child got accepted into this school. Well, my child wrote a novel in the third grade. Well, my child got accepted into Harvard. Well, my child can fly. I mean, that, that, but that, that's how we are. And it's not a new phenomenon. And imagine Hannah. Some of the fondest memories in my life are, are, are seeing my kids do silly stuff. Man, I could tell you some stories. I couldn't go home afterward. <laughs> But seeing my kids do just those cute little things that don't mean anything to any of y'all, but, but to me, those are some of the greatest memories. And Hannah had none of that. But Panina down the hall did. And out of her, probably, we, we have to assume, probably out of her woundedness and her bitterness over the fact that her husband preferred and, and showed favoritism to Hannah, 
Penina taunted her, was ruthless to her. So Hannah, this is the life that Hannah lives. You have to feel for Hannah. I mean, she desperately wants a child. She, she, want, she wants to have that heir for her husband. She wants to have that, that connection with, with, with her own child. And it says in, in the text, even year after year, she pled for this. Now, Cana obviously loves her, but he can't change the situation. And you add to that the hateful behavior from Panina. And it'd be easy to feel sorry for Hannah. But instead, let's look at some things that I think we can take from Hannah's life. First and foremost, again, even people with great faith, with great hearts, with great motive, motives are not without problems. Can we just be straight about that? We have money problems. We are Christians. We are good people. We are sitting here on Sunday morning dressed up, looking sharp. We have problems. We have money problems. We have family problems. We have children problems. We have job problems. We have health problems. That's just reality. We have to be people who are aware and are conscious of the fact that, I, that we ourselves and the people around us are people with problems. People who deal with a variety of issues. We talked in our Bible class this morning in the young adult class about anxiety. Anxieties are real. And we talked, we talked some about the, the, the difference between worry, like Jesus says, do not worry, and that idea of clinical anxiety. There are some things that people just can't... There's, there's real stress and real anxieties. So let's just be honest about that. We don't have perfect lives. New Christians need to know that just because you come up out of that water doesn't mean that you live in a perfect world now. You have a perfect Savior. But that doesn't mean your life, to, life is going to be perfect. We need to be honest with each other about our struggles. I believe that that's why Galatians 6, 2, Paul, Paul writes, carry one another's burdens, because we need that, because that's just real. Righteous people suffer. Think about Job. Think about David. Again, in class, I promise I had a sermon in mind before class this morning. But you think about, about David. We read in class Psalm 31, where David spends basically the entire psalm talking about the distress that he's in. And that's not the only one. David writes about that a lot. Jeremiah, there's a whole book called Lamentations. That doesn't mean Jeremiah is not righteous. That doesn't mean Job wasn't righteous or David. Think about Jesus himself in the garden, praying with everything he had. We'll come back to that in a minute, too. But, but we have problems. I don't know yours, all yours. You don't know all of mine. But, man, we got to let each other know some of them because it's just real. And as we look at Hannah's life, We see that realization that the, the troubles are going to be there. But what the next thing that we can take from this little segment is, is 
just the great, man, it, it's easy. When, when we find ourselves in that despair and that anxiety and that stress to just want to unplug. John pointed out in class this morning too, one of those things that we sometimes do when we get completely overwhelmed is nothing. I just, I don't want to do anything. Hannah could have used her distress and her despair as an excuse, but she doesn't. Again, the text says year after year, she went back. She went back to God. We can't let our problems, as real as they may be, and I do not mean to diminish anybody's problems, hear that, but we cannot let them be an excuse to not serve God or to not serve others. Now, granted, there may be some physical issues that, that keep us from worship, that keep us from serving, that keep us from doing some things. I understand all of that. But we can't let ourselves be offended. We can't let ourselves get our feelings hurt. We can't let ourselves just be angry and upset and check out from being part of God's family. Hannah could have. Hannah could have said, God does not hear me. God is not listening to me. I've done everything right. Forget this. But again, year after year, she comes back to God. We can't let our problems deter us from our trust in God. And I know that's super easy for me to stand up here and say. But we have to be people who model what she does. And we'll, we'll move on and look at what else she does. We have to prepare ourselves for our problems and we have to learn to deal with them properly. Well, how do we do that? Let's continue to look at what Hannah does. As she is in this despair in this particular scene, and again, this is one year out of several, apparently. Look at what happens here in verse 9. On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple, deeply hurt. Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, look at those words, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and do not forget me and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depths of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, go in peace. and May, may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant, she says, find favor with you. Look at the last phrase here. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. Hannah, as one who is dealing with great struggles, also knows that people of faith are people of prayer. 
I, I, this is one of those scenes that, I mean, there's so many of these type scenes in the Bible. I, I wish I could see what this looked like. It, it, it almost seems intrusive to even think that because she's in a moment of private prayer. But Eli's watching. And Eli's thinking, what is wrong with this lady? But her prayer is, is so much more than I think my prayers are sometimes. Look at the descriptions of her prayer. It says in verse 10, with bitterness of soul, weeping in anguish, she makes a vow, a vow. She's praying with persistence. She prays with all her so heart and with all her soul in verses 15 and 16. And she prays with faith in God's promise. Have you ever prayed like that? I mean, have, have you ever just poured your guts out before God? And just and just said this is this is this is all I can ask for. This is all I can do is just lay this out in front of God. Hannah is is dealing with with serious emotions, but she's dealing with it the right way. She's giving it giving it all to God. She's praying with passion. She, she puts her soul in her prayer. She's praying with persistence. She's, 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 she knows the only way to get where she wants, the only way for this to work out is for God to intervene. This is just what Paul says hundreds of years later. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul says this very simply. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. He says it in other places, pray without ceasing. But the idea is be devoted to prayer. Pray, pray earnestly, some translations say. You know, the Bible is full of those kind of prayers. Again, you think of some of David's prayers. You think of Nehemiah's prayers. Short prayers and long prayers. You think of Mary's prayer that has become known as the Magnificat. Again, you think of Jesus' prayer in the garden, knowing full well what's about to happen. I, when we look at those prayers in Scripture, I just can't imagine those being thoughtless, I can't imagine those being prayers that don't come from the very soul. Those are prayers that are full of, of energy, that are full of life. James 5.16 reminds us that the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That, that word fervent, that, that precursor to their description of the prayer is, is a word that means energy. Our prayers ought to have life in them. She also prays faithfully. It almost goes without saying. She understands that this is it. This is, this is where this problem can be solved and nowhere else. She can't solve it. Her husband can't solve it. Eli the priest can't solve it. God can solve this problem. But we also see the, the, maybe the most important thing about this idea of a faithful prayer 
is that she believes that God will answer her prayer. Again, look at that last phrase. After Eli has said, he says, may God grant your request. She cleans up. And went on her way, she ate and no longer looked despondent. Think about the words that have been used describing her prayer. In anguish, she's brokenhearted. She is, she is empty. But then she stands up and faithfully says, I'm no longer sad. I have given this over to God. She lays this at God's feet and walks away faithfully. Think of Philippians 4 again. Yes, we talked about this in class. Where Paul kind of gives us those steps. Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4, 4 through 6, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, I say rejoice. And he says, don't worry about anything. But instead, pray about everything. And then he says, in the peace that passes understanding, that that's what God will give you. I, I don't know the how and the why of all of that. I don't think any of us do. But, but we need to be people who pray knowing that God is going to take the next step for us. We need to be people who pray in a way that God, that God takes notice of. We, we see this. Second Chronicles, verse 16, we see that God takes notice of this. He says in verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong, for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. God is looking for those of us who are willing to say, God, this is my issue. This is my problem. This is my concern. And I'm laying it at your feet and I'm walking away no longer despondent. That is so much easier said than done. And I, I know that. I know that. But we have, we have someone, we have this woman named Hannah to look at and say it can be done. Too often we hear people say, you know, I've, I've got this issue with my children. I've got this issue with my spouse or with my employer. And I've done this. I've worked at this. I've done all these self-help books and all this different stuff. Well, all I can do now is pray about it. Man, that's got to be where we start. Where we get on our knees before we do anything else and we just say, God, here's my issue. Take this. Acknowledging the fact that we can't handle it, but God can. And we need to pray like we believe that God is listening. What do you pray for? What do you pray about today? Let me just give you some, if, if you're looking for subjects to pray about. First, let me ask you, let me, let me, let me ask you this. Do, do we believe in prayer. I, I, I hope your answer is a wholehearted yes, that, that you just heard that verse and said that God is looking, roaming the earth, looking for those who are completely devoted to him. And, and we believe he's going to answer prayer. So what are you praying for? Remember the old days when one of our biggest concerns is where are we going to put everybody in this building? Let's pray for that again. Let's pray that we're crowded and it's uncomfortable and it's annoying. We have to put people in the remote and it's, that, it's, that, that we have to do something. About it. Let's pray for that again. Let's pray that that property that we have is, is this close to, to, to putting a building on it, that, that we can then fill that one up too. Let's pray 
for our family and for our friends who aren't here. And I don't mean for any medical reasons or health reasons. People aren't here for those reasons and that happened. I mean people who have chosen to not be here. People who have fallen away. People in your families. People in my family. Let's pray for those people. And pray like Hannah. And believe that if we lay that at God's feet. Yes, there are things that that God expects us to do. I understand that. But when we pray for our congregation, when we pray for our success within God's will, when we pray for those who, are, who are, are drifting away from their faith, let's pray like we believe in prayer. Let's be people who lay things at God's feet and remember, like Hannah does, that God takes care of us. In fact, as we continue on in 1 Samuel chapter 1, look at verses 19 and 20. We see the next, the next portion we want to look at here. Verse 19, the next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to, to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. We pray faithfully because we know this, because we know God provides. We see it every day, and that's just my point. Do we remember that? Do we remember that God provides? Hannah prayed for something she wanted. Did she have to have a son? Well, yeah, in God's big picture, we know she did. But she didn't know that. It was just something she wanted. What we learned from this is that God will sometimes provide the things we want. If we're praying within his will, if we're walking with him, we have to remember that. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I abide in you. We have to be in that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And God will sometimes give us the things we want. Because maybe it's best for us. Maybe it's best for us long term. Sometimes he won't. But he will sometimes give us what we want. But we also have to remember that God will provide what we need. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says that so plainly. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about what what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to live. He says, think about the flowers. Flowers are are clothed. They end up in the fire. You don't think God's going to take care of you? Now, again, I have to tell you, I don't understand how all that works. Because there's sometimes that there are things that I know I need. Or sometimes there are things I know you need. And the answer doesn't always come the way we want it. I mean, the answer is sometimes, wait a minute. The answer is sometimes, wait about 15 years. Sometimes the answers aren't what we want. But we have to trust that God's going to take care of us. Those of you, when I talk about this idea of of, of praying for us to, to bust out of these walls again, for us to, to eventually, Lord willing, build a new building and bust out of those walls. That, that almost sounds far-fetched, right? That almost sounds, well, careful, slow your roll a little bit there. How many of you were here in this building when it was built? Could you imagine this? Could you imagine owning a piece of property at Black Cat and Eustick that's a coveted property and just going, well, we can put a building there. Could you imagine that? 
but we know God provides. Hannah's prayer, the anguish and the despair was gut-wrenching. But then she stands up and walks away because she put it in God's hands. And God provided. God gave her what it was that, that, that she wanted. And we have Hannah's account to remind us that God provides. So what's our reaction to that? And this is really the point about Hannah. As we wrap up here, we see that Hannah got her son. That, that in and of itself is amazing, isn't it? I don't know. How many of you have, have dealt with wanting a child and not being able to have it? But I know that we, Karen and I didn't have that, that issue. But I remember when she told me that we were having our first child. I remember first I sat there for a little bit just going, thinking, wow, I'm going to be a daddy. That's terrifying. But the, the joy that that is. So that in and of itself is incredible. But look what happens. First Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. She goes, remember, remember, I was really praying. I wasn't drinking. I was praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed for this boy. And since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives... He is given to the Lord. Man, I, I could go off on all kinds of different lessons right here. Parents, give your kids to the Lord. God gave them to you. Follow her example and give them to the Lord. That's a free sermon. That's not really in this one. That's just bonus material. That's like the things at the end of the DVD. But what we can see from Hannah... She kept her word. She, she did exactly what she said she was going to do. Now, there, there, is a, there is a lesson here for us. What, what, what she, the promise she made was not an easy promise to make. To give up your child? Again, I, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine even considering that. Kids can be frustrating. Kids can be challenging. I imagine some of you with, with little kids sometimes think, maybe I could give this kid away for a day. I know, I, I know my wife, when Kara was at home with our kids, I imagine about 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it was somebody take these things. 
Maybe for a little bit, but not, not forever. She says for his life. And we don't know exactly how that worked, but she was giving that new life over to God. She kept her promise. Now, again, sub-lesson here for us. We need to keep our promises. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. And I believe that principle is there, but let's, let's dig a little deeper. We need to be people who keep our number one promise. What is our number one promise? The number one thing that we do as Christians, when we give our lives over to Christ, we hear, believe, repent, we confess. What do we confess? Confess that Jesus is now Lord. Jesus is my master. Jesus says, you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. If you don't, I won't. Keep that promise. Our number one promise is to commit our lives to God. And let's make the parallel. Hannah prays for a new life. She's given a new life. She turns it over to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul tells us that if you're in Christ, all things are new. You're a new creation. You have been given a new life. Give it to God. Don't, don't play at it. Hannah didn't say, I'll leave him here every Tuesday and Thursday for three hours. I mean, that, that wasn't what she did. It was, I'm giving this to God because God took care of me. We need to be people who are that committed. Every aspect of our lives should be given over to God. But we also see, look, look, look at the end of this. She says, I now give the boy to the Lord for as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. And then chapter two, verse one says, Hannah prayed. We need to be people who worship. We need to be people who honor God. I'm not talking about this. Do this. This, this again, this would be a whole different lesson. We need to be in these, these times of worship together. We need to be time, in our times of Bible study together. We, we meet at nine o'clock for Bible. That's why if you get here before, after Bible study, that's why cars are here because we meet at nine for Bible study. Come to Bible class. Come to worship. Come back tonight. It's not a requirement. It's not a checklist. It's for you because we need to be people who worship because we can't help ourselves from worshiping. Be here Wednesday night when we study together again. We have a devotional thought. And we spend some time just with each other. But it goes beyond that. Be people who worship in everything that you do. Our daily lives ought to be an attitude of honoring God. Our daily lives ought to be, we ought to live an attitude of saying that, that I, I, I live before a God who has blessed me in ways I can't even begin to imagine. Look at what she says. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, says, Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. When we think about Hannah, the example we ought to follow in her, you know, we, we know we're told to rejoice. Again, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice always. But shouldn't our rejoicing 
Our, our, our joy ought to be even, even more, more visible when we realize the way we've been blessed. Specifically, when you pray about that job, do you thank God for it? When you pray about that, your child and his issue, do you thank God for it after the fact? When you pray about that issue in your family, once it's resolved and it works out, do you thank God for it or do you take the credit for it? Well, we worked that out. Or do you get down on your knees and thank God for it and say, there is no one holy like you. There is no one beside you. Just in the way she prayed in chapter one with all her heart and with deep emotion, with deep, just deep feeling, she thanks God the same way. It's just like what David in the, in the passage that Nolan read for us this morning in Psalm 18, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. Then verse six, I called to the Lord in my distress and I cried to, to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Then verse 49 of that same chapter. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, Lord. I will sing praises about your name. Thanks be to God for our rescue. Thanks be to God for the very breath that we breathe. But thanks be to God for our salvation. Again, we don't have perfect lives, but we do have a perfect Savior. And we need to live, live lives of gratitude in, in, in every way. Hannah is, is a woman, in, in, in a, a very brief account, shows us, a, shows, us, shows us a great deal of lessons. From the depths of despair to rejoicing in her blessings. Hannah had some problems, some, some problems beyond anything I could even imagine. But that's life. It's reality. What do we do about it? We lock arms. We bear one another's burdens. And we take those, those burdens, we lay them at God's feet. Because people of faith are people of prayer. People of faith are people who remember that God will provide for them. And, and, and when God does provide, we are people who worship in every aspect of our lives. Hannah's story is so great. God remembered her when she was in, in, in a desperate place, but he remembered her because she remembered God. The relationship that we have with God is... Potentially, the, the, is, is just as great as the relationship that Hannah had with God. God offers us a great relationship with Him, and God offers us a place, a, a, a position where we can join with Hannah and we can say, My heart rejoices in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. Don't you want to say that in your problems, in your anxiety, in your struggle, in your worry? Don't you want to be able to say that my heart rejoices in the Lord? It's not easy. Not always. But God gives you a family. This morning you have that opportunity. 
it's our tradition that we're going to stand up as we sing this last song and that will give you an opportunity to come right down here. And if you have some burdens that you need to unload, that's, that's, that's what we're here for. And we'll pray about it j just like Hannah. It, it, it may be that it's a, a prayer of distress and anguish. It may be that it's a prayer of praise just like Hannah. It may be that you're a Christian and you've drifted away from God. And you want to be back in that situation. You want to be back in that relationship. As we stand and sing, you have the opportunity. God extends this invitation, not us. But as we stand and sing, you, you have the opportunity to respond in whatever way you need. Won't you do that while we stand and sing? <coughs> you move.